Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Please be seated. Jesus said, why are you making my father's house a marketplace? So as you leave today, please be sure to go by and check out our bank shop that we have today. Um, when I was growing up, I went to St. Mary's in, in Edmond, and they had a bookshop as part of their ministry, and the, the women's group would sell books and jewelry and, and things. And somebody said, well, how is that not going against what Jesus taught? And at face value, you could sit there and go, oh, well, if you're selling anything, um, holy smokers, watch out. Um, <laughs> then are you going against Jesus' teaching? But it misses really what Jesus is objecting to. Um, people would go and they would travel to the temple. And the temple was the heart of Jewish identity. It is not only the place in which they gathered for worship, it was not only the place where um, they would do their, their politics and they would have their meetings, the temple was the place where they believed that God resided. And so you would travel from great distances, and rather than bringing a goat or a donkey or some birds with you, you would go to the temple and you would buy them there. It was a whole lot easier than trying to carry them a really long distance. And um, what was happening was is that the folks who were selling the animals for the sacrificial system were charging exorbitant prices. Um, they, were, they were treating the people um, really unfair. And it's sort of like this thing, like, like if in order to receive communion up here, on your way up, you had to, to you know, make a, 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 you know, a gift of an animal or something, and, and, and we sat there and we said, oh, well, in order to receive the body of Christ, man, you have to give this much, right? Um, and the other thing they were doing is they had money changers. So you would come, you would have your money, but that money wasn't used in the temple. And so you had to exchange your money to be used in the temple. And they were giving really unfair rates um, in their trade. Um, when I was a, a, a child, um, I had a Mickey Mantle... Uh, not a Mickey Mantle, sorry, that'd be really awesome if I did. Um, I had, I had a, a baseball um, card of Mark McGuire when he played on the Olympic team, and it was worth, you know, even back then, quite a bit of money. And my brother went and he swindled me out of it. He gave me a really bad exchange rate. Um, I didn't know what I had, but he did, right? And it's sort of that unfairness that Jesus is calling out. And this is one of these things that Jesus places himself within um, the, 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 the prophetic system which criticized how people worshipped God. In which they sit there and they worry about the outward signs. Does everything look good on the outside? And they miss the real heart of a relationship with God is on the inside. 
Jeremiah says, stand at the gate of the temple and proclaim this message. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say we are safe? Safe to do all these despicable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a, become a den of robbers to you? It's really easy for us to exchange a relationship with God with a mere transaction and focusing on the exterior. In John's gospel, the temple plays one of the largest roles of the four gospels. And one of the reasons is, is that Jesus is trying to say, I am now the place where God resides. Not in this building, but in me. Come and join me, and you join the Father. I think this passage should also challenge our often um, uh, stated misconceptions that there's a difference between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. People oftentimes say, oh, well, that Old Testament God, he can be awfully, you know, judgy and, you know, look down upon his people. I'm like, uh, Jesus took a, a cord of, of, of whip and sat there and charged people out of the temple. Like, let's not say that anger is not a part of God's being. But the difference between God's anger and our anger is God's anger does not change his disposition to us. God's anger does not change his disposition to us. When God is looked down and goes, what the heck are you doing? God doesn't say, well, that's it. I'm not loving Don Dyer anymore. <laughs> Wait a minute, where is Don? He's not even here to get these things. <laughs> so when Don looks down on Wade Powell... Right? God doesn't change his disposition to us. God still loves us and is merciful to us. We, on the other hand, are not always easily able to take that same anger and treat people with love and compassion and mercy. We talked this last week at Pub Theology about how anger is a passion. It just is. It's something that you feel. Right? It's part of being um, human. You go and you see the abuse of a child and, and it wells up anger within you, right? You see the deaths of innocence and it, it whelms up within you anger at injustice, right? Anger is not a bad thing, but anger that then turns to outrage is something we have to be uh, worrisome about. Anger, which drives within us a desire to make the world a better place, which drives within us a desire to change things, that is good and holy anger. Anger that wells within us outrage is unholy anger. Thomas Aquinas says that um, love can allow me to do amazing things for people who are not myself. But love can also make us do awful things to people, right? This is what we talk about, crimes of passion. Matt Livinggood, some of you all may have known, um, reflected on anger, and he said, denial of anger never does me any good. 
But anger rarely helps if it is not transformed into a passion for justice and reconciliation. I am challenged not to keep myself totally separate from those who I am angry of. Anger pointed to change is a virtue. Anger is powerful. It's a motivating force, but it's also a dangerous one. Think of um, in Return of the Jedi when the Emperor challenges Luke, give in to your anger, strike me down and you will be powerful. Right? There was great truth in that. Our anger can cause us to do horrific things, often when we think we are doing the right thing. And one of the reasons is, is that our culture has a hard time distinguishing between anger and outrage. Anger at deaths of innocent Gazans has quickly become anti-Semitic feelings and hatred toward Jews in America. Our social media platforms are designed and built around outrage. They know scientifically you are more likely to respond to something, to like something, or to share something if it is a negative message than a positive message. That's why puppy videos are not as viral as a video about, you know, look at this stupid thing that Trump did or Biden did. Our culture is in many ways addicted to outrage, which makes me worrisome about how much we embrace anger. Because when we become outraged, we lose control. We begin to dehumanize others. We begin to justify within ourselves how they can be mistreated and abused. Dallas Willard said that many things can be better accomplished without anger than with because we don't know how to control ourselves very well. Control of anger is something that we have to practice. It doesn't come naturally. Passions come naturally. Virtues have to be practiced. So how do we practice the virtues of anger? Contemplation. Don't react so fast. Go and find out if the thing that you're sharing on social media is actually true. Ask yourself, is the thing that you're sharing on social media for the purposes of building up or is it to embarrass and shame somebody else? A commitment to nonviolence, that we believe that God is present in every single person and we have to respect the dignity of every human being, even those who are idiots. This was the thing that Martin Luther King, before you could go and do a sit-in, you had to practice doing the sit-in, right? It takes practice and time on our part not to give in to outrage. And the last thing I would ask is, what is it that we're consuming? Brian Zahn, who is our Lenten speaker next Saturday, says it is hard to disciple yourselves in the way of Jesus when you spend 10 times more watching Fox News and MSNBC than you do the Sermon on the Mount. Amen.